Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic hits. On a much more serious note, whistleblowers and family members of people who died in nursing homes during the COVID-19 pandemic have raised concerns about how facilities handled the third wave of the virus earlier this year and possibly how they're going to handle a fourth wave if indeed that comes along before the end of this year. During the first wave of COVID-19 in March and April 2020, residents in nursing homes uh, were 28 times more likely to contract the virus than those living in the community. Nearly 1,000 of these residents died, more than half of all COVID-related deaths at the time. And now family members whose loved ones died during that third wave of the pandemic in January and February 2021 have said lessons were not learned from earlier waves. In other words, the mistakes we made back in April and March and May and June, we didn't rectify those mistakes for January and February when we had that second or third wave. On primetime last night, RT Investigates reported that some nursing homes were quickly overwhelmed again earlier this year and they should have been prepared. Throughout the pandemic, care champions, the voluntary advocacy group supporting residents and their families requested meetings with the Minister of Health and the Minister for Mental Health and older people are uh, informing them of their concerns. They believe they were ignored along with the families of the whistleblower staff. And to give me more information on it, I'm going to go to Susan. Uh, Susan, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Niall. Your mum passed away in February in a care home and my condolences to you and and your family And after she had contracted COVID-19. What was your mum, by the way, Susan? She was 89. Okay, and how long had she been in the care home? She'd been there for eight years. All right. Um, yeah. And and up to the point, I suppose, you know, where she contracted COVID-19, what was her health? Was she in good health or did she have underlying? She was in great health. Uh, apart from the dementia, she was very mobile, just, okay. you know, full of life, you know. Okay. So basically it was just mental health as such. More yeah, so. yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and what was your access to her? I mean, obviously it was very difficult. 2020 was a very difficult year for you. Yeah, well, you know, um, the problems that I had with the nursing home the mum was in was it changed hands in 19 and very quickly the care began to slip and okay. it became a business venture as opposed to a care home. Yeah. You know, so we had very limited access. There was no window visits allowed and um, except in very rare circumstances. So, okay. And what were those rare circumstances? Like um, I managed to get a window visit in January of this year for her 89th birthday just to stand there. Okay. My sister and myself, but other than that, very rare. That must have been heartbreaking for you to have that one window visit, particularly when she was in such a... Well, at that stage, had she contracted COVID, by the way? For no, she hadn't. And actually, okay. at that stage, she just... She looked frail from the lack of, like, um, from the isolation, and she had lost weight. But she was in good form and was really happy to see the two of us and was waving at us out the window. So it was, yeah. it was a good visit, you know? And I, I, I've, I've read recent articles and studies in relation to ill health in the elderly during the pandemic. And they said that a lot of older people had physically uh, deteriorated because of isolation, not just mentally deteriorated. Of course, you would mentally deteriorate with isolation, but they'd actually physically deteriorated because I suppose isolation brings its own problems, loneliness, which in turn can you know affect their appetite. All these things can be very bad and affect their health as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so when did you find out she had COVID-19? They contacted you, I assume. Well, they contacted me in February to say that she'd got her second vaccine. And just by the way, She's kind of gone downhill lately. Okay. And, when I, and when I asked what that was about, and they said, well, she stopped eating, stopped drinking, no longer speaks, no longer walks, needs a wheelchair, and her heels are badly ulcerated. She needs a skin specialist. Right. So on the back of this information, I requested a compassionate visit, and I got it. Okay. And um, 
what I found that day was just horrific. She was just a bag of bones in the bed. Um, sorry. She was in bed quarter past four in the afternoon, curtains pulled. And when I asked why she was in bed, they told me that she'd had a bad bowel movement and was put to bed. She was in that bed for 18 and a half hours. Oh, my. I mean, it must be terrible. And, you know, I've ne- thankfully, I've never been in that position, but my parents died quite suddenly. Um, so I've never been in that position to watch, you know, the woman who cared for you all your life and the woman who has had this wonderful relationship with you all your life, your mom, be in a position where you feel that you want to do more for them or you, and you can't. Horrendous. It's horrendous. Yeah. And you feel so, like, powerless because during 2020, I contacted HICWA with three formal complaints because I had so many concerns. And, like, you just don't know where to go. Like, there's nobody to help you. We really feel like we were just completely failed, you know. And and the lack of care, I think, now has kind of become the norm, which is really bad. I mean, I know elderly people, particularly like your mum at 89 years of age, were very vulnerable to COVID-19. And there's no yeah. doubt about that. We just have to look at the figures around the world in relation to COVID-19. They seem to be the ones that were mostly affected and, and the mortality rate was much higher in that age group. So we understand why people had to be cautious around older people. And, and that's absolutely understandable. But mm. that doesn't give people an excuse to treat people badly either. No, no. And, you know, my, my mum, she was a very strong woman, you know, like she, as I say, she'd know their ailments. And I feel she hadn't been, like, I kind of feel like I got a glimpse of what maybe her life might have been like for those four weeks that I'd have seen her. Mm. And um, I kind of think if, like, if she'd been in, if she'd, if she'd been, if she'd got COVID when I saw her in January, I really do think she could have fought it. But she was so weak. She was so, so weak. Frail, that yeah. when she got the, we got the diagnosis maybe um, five days after she got the vaccine, the second vaccine, and she just couldn't fight it. You know? Do you, do you think there was a case that not just in this care home, but in many care homes, particularly the private ones, because uh, as you rightly said, in some cases, it's all about profit. They see people as money. Yeah. And, 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 and in some cases, the quicker they can get people out the door, and I mean that in, in the most, in, not in an insensitive way, they can get somebody new in the door who will last longer and make more money out of them. So that's, the, that's the way these places operate. Yeah. And I'm not saying they don't care, because most of them do. But do you think during COVID-19, it was a case of because there wasn't many visitors or independent people in to see what was going on, that they let standards slip. 100%. Niall, 100%. And, you know, as I say, the problems with nursing homes, private nursing homes, particularly my experience anyway, is that um, the cracks were there all along, but I would have been in to see my mum on a daily basis. So um, we would have taken up the slack for the staff. Like many a time I'd be in the day room and there wouldn't be another care there, carer there. And if one of the residents get up to go and you know they're going to fall, I jump up and help them. So we were actually working with the, the staff. And when there was no residents' families there to do that job, it became pre- pretty clear yeah. that, that that's where the failings were. The staff weren't there. There wasn't enough staff. They were, and like I know there was, they, they charged us, but um, like the cracks were there before, but they were just absolutely exasperated because of COVID. And when you watched the Primetime Investigates programme last night, of course, it all brought it all back to you again. And I'm sure memories of your mum came back into your head and how she was treated and how you felt she was treated in her final it, weeks. It did. It must have yeah. broke your heart watching all those stories. It broke my heart. But I'm, it, you know, it's, it's terrible to say I wasn't shocked at any of it because I've been through it all. Mm-hmm. Well, just stay there for a second as well, because I want to go to uh, Teresa. And Teresa is a representative of Care Champions, who we've spoken to on the air many times before. Teresa, good afternoon to you. 
Good afternoon, Niall, and thanks for having me on. Uh, Teresa, the primetime investigates for many people last night was quite shocking because I suppose the most vulnerable and respected people in society are our elderly, our mams and dads. Uh, and, you know, to see people being treated with this type of disrespect from what we can see is outrageous. Absolutely. But, you know, we are so grateful to the families and to the, to the care staff that were courageous enough to come forward and speak about their experiences. It's a very harrowing event to have to go through and then to have to broadcast it on the media to get your point across and to get the truth out. You know, it's, it's horrendous for them. But these were the lived experiences of the residents, you know, and it was one of isolation, oftentimes unnecessary suffering. They were stripped of their dignity. Uh, the voices of the residents weren't heard and of their families weren't heard. And really, Niall, you know, the government cannot say that they did not know about the failures in many nursing homes because they've been alerted so many times by these families themselves, from care champions, from the ISAW, who've been great advocates for safeguarding in nursing homes to ensure that the rights of residents are protected. I mean, it was quite shocking at the very start. I remember the first sign of this at the very start of the, the pandemic. I spoke to Dr. Marcus de Bruyne, which was going back to last June, I think. And he was talking about how outraged he was that people were being moved from hospitals into care homes without even checking to see if they had COVID-19, which was astonishing. And at the time as well, of course, the care homes themselves had closed for visitors. But uh, I think Neffet at the time had told them to allow visitors again. So the whole thing was a mess from the word go. Uh, there is no doubt about that. And particularly when you're talking about the most vulnerable in society. But do you think what I was saying to Susan, is that the fact that there wasn't visitors for a good nine month period, do you think they took their eye off the ball, the care homes, particularly the private care homes, whereby you know, there was no visitors, so nobody to keep an eye on what they were doing? Absolutely. And I, I firmly believe that while there are great carers and great nurses and some terrific nursing homes out there, um, really the families are the eyes and ears of their loved ones. They know them best. They are their best advocates. You know, um, without the families getting in to see on a day-to-day basis how their loved one was, things rapidly disintegrated in nursing homes. And only Minister Donnelly can address this, and he can do it very quickly by using his power under the Health Act 2007 to turn all these guidelines for visiting into mandated regulations, even now. It should have happened months ago. It can be done now. But I think, you know... For many families, they didn't even get compassionate visits, Niall. They didn't get to, to be with their loved one when they died. How horrendous is that? And how would you ever cope with the grief of that? Not even being able to hold your loved one's hand or looking I, at somebody. I don't know, Teresa. I, 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 I said this, I think I spoke to yourself before. And I remember, I remember saying before that if that was my moment, that situation, and no disrespect to you, Susan, or anybody else who's been through that, wild horses wouldn't stop me from holding my mother's hand, you know, in her last moments. Or and I don't understand, or I can't fathom how that happens or how people can do that. Unfortunately, they have to do it because that's the rules. But but I just, mm. I, it would break my heart. Break my heart. Absolutely, you know, and... and and the very sad thing is that NEFED recommended the establishment of an expert panel way back in 2020. And there were 86 recommendations in that very long document who were then handed to the Minister for Health, Simon Harris. And it was all about future management of outbreaks in nursing homes and what should be put in place. And it covered things like outbreak management, infection control, compassionate visits, um, nursing home management, you know, talking to the families. And to be honest with you, Niall, another review is not needed at this stage because the, the government didn't even heed the advice of NEFET at that time in that document. 
So, you know, the government's saying, oh, we don't, you know, we'll just give you another review. Another review is not needed. An inquiry is needed. A formal inquiry is needed, you know, so that all of these families will get the answers and the truth that they deserve and that they can finally move on and deal with their Okay, you have a list of, uh, just want, you present the government, of course, with a list um, of what you of believe that. is to be done. Absolutely. Yeah. And you obviously want the provision for an independent social worker, uh, you know, yeah. to be able to obviously go in and investigate any yeah. concerns people might have. Of course. And, and also yeah. the HSE to be allowed to into nursing homes, private nursing homes, of course, and, in and crisis also situations. And Susan said there, Niall, you know, that she had written to HICWA, I don't know, did she say three or four times? HICWA, you know, doesn't have the power really to do anything and we need the powers of HICWA strengthened so that people can go to HICWA and know that their complaints are going to be dealt with. At the moment, HICWA will not deal with complaints on an individual basis. And that's not good enough. No, it so isn't So who do we enough. go to? We try HICWA, we try the Ombudsman, um, we try lots of, of different agencies like ourselves, Care Champions. We're only a voluntary group. So we're pushing for the powers of HICWA to be strengthened. We want a one-stop shop where families can go and say, I need help with this. I need some guidance. What do I do next? And we don't want to be bounced around from one organisation to another. In relation to the mandatory reporting by all staff of neglect of abuse of residents to be to report to the relevant authorities and criminal behaviours to the Garda Shikana, is that not already illegal under the 2013 Criminal Justice Act that if anybody is aware of anybody whose life is in danger or indeed is aware of somebody else putting somebody's life in danger, that that should be reported and that person can be held criminally accountable? Is that not already there? Well, it should be there. That's the what I'm saying. That you ha- yes, it should be there. Uh, I suppose, in effect, it is there. But what you have, now is that you have some great health care assistants who are on minimum wage, working very long hours, who are basically told what to do and when to do it, not to speak up if they see things that they don't like or they don't approve of. They have no backup. They have no unions. They have no one to go to. Um, unless they're willing to go down the route of doing a protective disclosure, which is a, it's a big ordeal for a healthcare assistant to have to do that. Yes. Um, and so we can understand why they're very shy about coming forward. But we well, we've seen what happened to whistleblowers in the past in this yeah. country, and yeah. and that puts people off immediately. Unfortunately, it does put people off. Um, yeah. And also, you want staff to be fully trained with a minimum of uh, full level five VTAC um, before commencing employment. We do, because during the pandemic, we had many families contact us who would have been in healthcare themselves or would have had great experience of working with the elderly who offered to help out in the local nursing home where their loved one was. Um, they were turned away, and we subsequently found out in many homes, young people of 18 and 19 and others um, who wouldn't have spoken English uh, were recruited into nursing homes, paid minimum wage, and really, no offence to them, but they didn't have that care and nurturing and yeah. experience. And they weren't trained and they didn't have the experience. And in the midst of a pandemic, you cannot be training people in, in, in you know, personal care needs and all that goes with it when, when everything is up in the air. It's not the right time to do that. Well, so just let me get back, getting back to Susan, uh, whose 89-year-old man passed away there in February. Mm-hmm. Uh, Susan, uh, the staff of the nursing home where your mom was, do you believe that your mom was neglected? Do you believe that your mom was looked after to the best of their ability? Um, well, Under the circumstances? Some of the staff were absolutely outstanding. And in fact, um, in May last year, one of the carers in mom's unit called me and asked if he could come to meet me. And he met me in the garden. 
and he was in tears and he said he feared for the safety of the residents because they were so short-staffed and he told me of some other rather awful instances that were happening down there. Because so they were short-staffed? They were short-staffed yeah. and um, and a couple of other things that were just shocking, pretty much similar to last night's um, programme. But like he was so afraid. He was absolutely I, terrified and he took... Yeah. He took a big risk coming to me and I'm so grateful to him for doing that, you know. When you say they're short staff, maybe one of can answer this question for me. When you, uh, is it short staff because they're trying to penny pinch or is it short staff because they literally just can't get the staff? Well, in my case, it was definitely penny pinching, without a doubt. Teresa, acro- oh, well, let me ask you, Teresa, across the board, in the, particularly in the private nursing homes, uh, there's obviously less staff than there would be in the public nursing homes, but is it, is it to save money or is it because just staff are hard to come by in that particular sector? Well, I, I certainly think during the pandemic, obviously a lot of staff were hit with COVID themselves. Yep. Um, and so, you know, many nursing homes were, you know, had huge staff shortages. There were also situations where many private nursing homes did not want the HSE coming in and taking over. Okay. And, and we, we heard that from, from many families. Um, so they didn't want outsiders coming in per se, unless they really, really had to do it. They wanted their own staff to do it. We also heard of incidences of staff who had COVID, who were not given the full three weeks to recover and being brought back into the nursing home before their quarantine time was up because the nursing homes were so short-staffed. That's shocking, isn't it? That's just a bomb waiting to go off, really, isn't it? You know absolutely. what I mean? Absolutely. When you do something yeah, like absolutely. that. Absolutely. Particularly, yeah. at the, at, particularly at the height of it last year and maybe yeah, in January and February as well. That's not good infection control procedures. Mm-hmm. And what about, no. com- what about contact tracing? And something I mentioned to Magella uh, going back during the year when I was talking to Magella Tracer from Care Champions, I talked about antigen testing. And this is something that's been on the minister's desk since last October. There was a whole study done in relation to antigen testing in care homes. Surely that would have been the logical thing to do going back to last year when we had antigen testing, by the way, from last June. And I said it to the minister, to Stephen Donnelly, before he became Minister for Health, actually, he was actually spokesperson for Health and Feed and Fall at the time, that surely all staff, five-minute test in the morning, I know it's not 100% accurate, but certainly it would be better than nothing, that all staff just do a quick antigen test on the way into work. What would be the issue with doing something like that? I 100% agree with you. You know that we have campaigned for that for months on end. We, again, read all the WHO recommendations, which were that antigen testing should be used in congregated settings. And and I would consider any nursing home to be a congregated setting. Absolutely. Um, It's a very quick and effective way of, you know, of finding out if somebody's at risk, you isolate them, whether that's a staff member or a resident. And Mm -hmm. I, I do not understand why... Nefit are so anti-antigen testing. I, I really don't. I mean, you know? I, I do get the point that it's not 100% accurate. Mind you, PCR is not 100% accurate either. But I do get that it's not 100% accurate. It all depends on the person that's doing the test and at what point of infection they are. But it's better than nothing. It and, is, and it, it you know gives I mean? an indication. It Absolutely. Gives an indication. And, if you sta- and even so, if you stop 60 or 70% of the cases, that the rare cases that might go in infected and infect everybody else, sure, wouldn't that be great? Do you know what I mean? So I, I just it, don't get and the I, logic. I think also, you know, just on that point with the antigen testing, I know that staff were being tested in nursing homes every fortnight. Maybe that wasn't enough either. Mm-hmm. Every fortnight wasn't enough in the midst of, you know, of uh, the, the second wave and the third wave. It should have been every week. And in relation to the communication you've had with the Minister for Health and the Minister for Mental Health, uh, what, what has the response been? Or you've got no response, essentially. We've gotten 
we've gotten acknowledgement of one email, but it was a very generic uh, response to that. We have tweeted, we've emailed. As I said, all the families have done the same. We want to engage with them. We want to address this issue on behalf of all the families and all the residents who sadly lost their lives and all the care workers. Um, they are not approaching us at all. And going forwards, do you think this is going to be addressed or do you believe it's going to fall on deaf ears? Well, we're certainly going to keep pushing for it, Niall. We are absolutely going to keep pushing for it for as long as we can and as hard as we can. And, uh, you know, as I keep saying, if this was happening with children or in a childcare situation, the country would be up in arms. We all aspire to being old someday. So the re- really, I'm hoping that the country will back us on this in, in pushing for a public inquiry because mm-hmm. it could be any one of us in 20 years down the line. Well, we're all going to be old. We're all going to be old at some point. We hope we're all going to be old. We hope we are. Somebody just mentioned, by the way, and sent in a text, just a point for Niall, it's uh, impossible to get carers, even carers that come to the house. The company are being paid by the HSC, uh, but client not always getting all their allocated care hours due to the lack of staff. Staff are also expected to leave one client and be with the other client five kilometres away at the same time. No travel time allowed, so all elderly clients are missing out on time. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. And Magella could fill you in even more on the home care packages and getting supports at home for families, you know, that need that backup. And there are so many families out there looking after an elderly loved one or a partner or an uncle or an aunt they also really need the support in all of this. And they had very little during the pandemic. And, and Susan, once again, condolences to you. I know, look, it's one of life's certainties that we're all going to pass away. And your man, by the way, lived to a good age, 89 years of age. I'm sure you delighted you had 89 years of her life together with you. Um, but at the end of their life, you expect people, I suppose, Susan, to be treated with more dignity. And that's Absolutely. what this comes down to, isn't it? It's to yeah. treat people with dignity because it is the end of their life and it should be the, it should be the happiest time of their life to some degree uh, that they get to be with their family and be with the ones they love before they die. Absolutely. You know, and like it's just, you know, you just can't even grieve now because you're just so, like it's just so wrong. The whole thing is just so wrong and upsetting. You know, you just can't, it's hard to just accept what's happened and, and try and grieve the loss, you know. Well, look, I hope the mistakes that were made in the past uh, gives us some lessons for the future. Although, from what we've been saying to Theresa there, I don't think that's going to be the case because it certainly wasn't the case the last time. But maybe the Primetime Investigates programme last night will light up a few ears uh, within government buildings. Listen, thank you very much indeed, Susan. And thank, thank you very you. much, Theresa. And I hope your mum's loss so is not in vain, Susan. All thank right. you so much. OK, thank you very thank much indeed. Real people, real opinions, real talk radio. The multi-award winning Niall Boylan Show. Classic Hits.